we are in a Christmas series called The Greatest Gift. And so we've spent two weeks talking about that. And, and today I want to talk to you uh, from the book of Mark. So if you've got a Bible, go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you want to follow along in your notes, you can get on the YouVersion Bible app. We're in there. There's uh, some sheets floating around the back if you want to grab. Consider what really matters. What really matters in this life? What, what, are, what are the things that outside of what we tend to allow to stress us out and what we tend to allow to dominate our thinking and our doing? What are the things that matter? And so as your pastor, some of the things that I, that I think are huge for us to remember in the Christmas season, and you're about to hit it. I hit it yesterday. I started to stress out. And I started to take it out of my family. And they're like, dude, why don't you just go sit by yourself for a little bit? All right, buddy? And uh, then we'll see you back here in an hour. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've had those moments where life begins to overwhelm you. And then you begin to evaluate why. And there's some things that are incredibly important for us and really are confessions of our need for discipleship. They're confessions of where we're falling short of what God is doing in our life. Uh, Like finding someone to give away what God has given you. Sometimes we call it mentoring. Sometimes we call it uh, discipleship. But whatever it is, uh, God is blessing you to be a blessing. Just that confession that, and I'm not just talking about money, that's part of it. But in your life, who are you pouring into? Jesus didn't just say, go and save people. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Who are you investing your life into? Because what, what we're really after as a church is maturity not just growth. You can grow and not be healthy. Does that make sense? And so what what we're looking for is spiritual maturity. And and what that lands us on is that a Sunday-only mentality is not enough. Community with other people is actually sin. See, sometimes sometimes I don't think we, we actually go there. Because, yes, God called us to be together on Sunday, but he also called you to be in community and to not do what God's called you to do is sin. What's the Bible say? To him who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so the blessing of God is broken when we disobey. And, uh, Sometimes the blessing is the punishment, (laughs) and that sometimes is difficult. And as you just think about all of those things that are happening, as as I began to think about all of those things, I started to think about our world, the world that we live in, and how broken it is. I I I have a couple pictures for you uh, just to look at. Um, Throw up that first one. Where's that? California. Right? That's just one of thousands of pictures pretty sure they're not concerned about some of the things you're concerned about today. True? Yeah. Well, go to the next one. This is our uh, 
Our president made an announcement that caused these things to happen. <laughs> Seems to be a trend. <laughs> because what? We, we look at our world and what do we see? Divide. Don't we? No matter what side of the political fence you fall on. And in a room this size, we're on both sides of that fence, aren't we? So, so what do we as Christ followers do? We've got to think about that this Christmas season, don't we? See, one of the things that happens is we, we feel Christmassy and we feel nostalgic and we feel all of these things. And I took my kids to see Santa last night and they, were, they had pictures of him and Baylor screamed her head off. And, you know, it's just like we're just making these memories and, and yet the, these things sit back here, don't they? They sit back here. Look at, look at this next, next picture. Just refugees rowing away from tragedy they've lost everything and as we celebrate the season which i do i've got a christmas tree up in my house and i'm so i'm not i'm not dogging it okay i am i'm christmas man i love christmas i'm all about it you know but there's these things these things in the back of your mind that make you think go to the next one. We, we think about our culture who celebrated this man. And go to the next picture and then celebrated these people. And, and you think to yourself, how can we celebrate? Okay, go back to the other one. How can, how can he, he be celebrated? Then you go to the next picture and then celebrate them. Do you know, do you know who these are? Silence breakers. Sorry, the hashtag that began all this awareness about uh, sexual misconduct and all the allegations that have poured in and high-profile names being removed from jobs. And yet, just a couple weeks ago, we're celebrating the porn giant of the world. And, and so, I, so I just I sit there reading my Bible, thinking about all these things that are swirling around <laughs> In our culture who's preaching all of these different things and throwing horribly convicted, conflicted messages at you. And it causes you to stop and think, where is God in the midst? I read you a verse from Isaiah that says, great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Is God still there? And so I... I, Grab the few more pictures, because what I want you to know is that in the midst of all that chaos, there are glimmers of hope. And these are symbolic pictures. Look at, look at this next picture that comes up here. This is in Tokyo. They just had bombs flying over, missiles from North Korea flying over them. And yet in the, in the midst of that, there's this little park in Tokyo that displays the glory of God that displays the creative handiwork of God. Go to the next one. Christmas celebration with all these people. That's in, that's in Lebanon. You just think, if I lived in Lebanon, I'm, I'm not sure how Christmassy I'd feel. Go to the next one. This one took me probably by the most surprise out of any of them. You know where that is? It's in Pakistan. And you just think, there's a growing church in Pakistan, by the way. 
and you just think, you stand there in the middle of Pakistan, and what is on display? The glory of God. And so what I'm saying to you is, in this life, there are horrific, tragic, unbelievable, at times, things going on. But yet, God is in the midst. And as we begin to try to reconcile those things, you, what, I, what I hope is running through your mind, as it did mine this week, is where do I fit into that picture? Where does Mitch... I mean, I've told you about the Google Earth thing. Like, you get on Google Earth, you put in your address, and it brings up your house. You're like, oh, there's my house on Google Earth. Then you start to zoom out. You're like, oh, I'm less significant. I'm even less significant. And then you back up and you see the world. And you're like, I don't even matter. Because <laughs> you just, you're such a small blip in the universe. And yet, what does the Bible say about the greatest gift? We're in this series called The Greatest Gift. What does the Bible say? Greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. That God would call you friend. That God would go and be born in Bethlehem and Nazareth. And even the people in Bible times would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No. <laughs> but there was God in the flesh. The incarnate God, Emmanuel, God with us. This greatest gift that could be given came as a humble baby. And then what I want you to think about today is as we start ramping into the Christmas season, I want to challenge you to break the mold of what you've done for years and find somebody that you can pour your life into. But I want to give you some specific ways that God's called you to pour your life into them. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, go to Mark chapter 1. I want to look at this uh, for a couple minutes today. And as you're thinking about all of those things that I just put on the screen, uh, one of the things that is important about the text we're going to read is this idea of preparation, this idea that we prepare for things, and a competing important thing is beginnings. Uh, Mark's going to talk about the preparation that was made for Christ, and he's going to talk about the beginning of Christ. And, and as you think about those things, I want you to think through your life this Christmas season. Because, see, here's what happened. When you look behind what was happening in this new beginning for humanity, right, that God would come to earth and then he lived a really simple life for so many years, three decades. And then he moves on to the scene and begins to do ministry. And people are saying things like, is that, is that the carpenter from Nazareth? Healing people and preaching, the Bible says, as one with authority. Not just calling them to follow rules, but preaching with authority and just incredible things happening on the scene. And he steps into that. And as you think about what those people were going through, what was the end result for them? They watched him serve for three years. And then what were they chanting 
on that hill. What were they chanting? Tell me. Crucify him. They were expecting one thing, and they got another. They're expecting a king, and they got a servant who's still the king. And what I want to ponder today really is, would you have been standing there chanting, crucify him? Probably. Probably. And that's a, that's a deafening reality. But Mark chapter 1, look at what... Look at what Mark says. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Don't skip past that. A lot of times we, we blow through the first verse of these books, and he's making an incredible statement that this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, and not just Jesus Christ, but the Son of God. He's making a divine claim about a Jewish carpenter who, by the way, I saw a painting yesterday of white Jesus. And just so we're all clear, Jesus wasn't white. All right, so as you're celebrating this season, like, don't get out your flannel graph and put up white Jesus. All right, or uh, he, he just wasn't, okay? So let's just all, like, agree on that and move past it, okay? So, I'm sorry, I just saw, I saw a painting yesterday. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And he had, like, perfectly straightened uh, brown hair. I'm like, I don't think that's the way that went. And... Uh, Anyway, sorry, that was ADD. <laughs> the beginning of the gospel. New beginnings are important, aren't they? Think about all the things you prepare for when they're new. I uh, had a, a church member text me and talk about his, uh, his birth class preparations that he had to go to. I'll remain nameless. He may or may not be on the front row. <laughs> And I just remember that. I remember going to that and it's like six hours worth of birth prep. And you like, you have this reality moment where you're sitting in there and they're talking about your wife giving birth. And you're like, I, this isn't exactly what I had in mind when I was 14. All right. <laughs> like, you know, you just have these moments where you're like, wow. And, uh, you know, you're deciding which side of the sheet you're going to be on. But that's a whole nother story. And uh, we prepare for that, don't we? We, we invest so much into that. Why? Because suddenly there's this helpless human being who I'm responsible for. And it really, really matters. Some of you are about to get married. Or some of you just got married. And, and what, what do we do leading up to marriage? We prepare. We really prepare. We do all the preparations for the day. Many of you sit down with me for months and we prepare for that moment where you move in together and you begin to do life together and you find out all the things you didn't know about each other and you go, ah, this is not who I married. And then you're married for 10 years like, and you're like, wow, like, I don't even know you anymore. And we go through these things and what do we do? We prepare. We invest great amounts of preparation. When you get a new job, you, have, you invest great amount of preparation in the things that matter, don't we? We invest our time, our energy, and our resources in the things that matter. And so here, Mark says, we 
have the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just feel the passion in his words. This is the beginning of the gospel, the son of God. And then he quotes Isaiah and says this, and, and I, let's, let's think through this together. Here's what he says. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, before God's face comes on the scene and begins to change the way you think. Because remember, their expectations were about to not be met. They just weren't going to be met. <laughs> they wanted the second coming. <laughs> what they got was the first coming. Because make no mistake, Jesus is going to come back as king. Let's just keep that reality. The white horse is coming. So that's there. But there was a coming in between. <laughs> That wasn't what was expected. And so here, here's Isaiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will what? Prepare the way. We do a lot of preparations, I think, because we were made in the image of God. And here's a Bible verse about God coming. It's 700 years before he came. And Isaiah is saying there's going to be a messenger who comes and he's going to prepare the way. For Jesus to come. Why was that important? Let's look at verse 3. The voice of one. Some of you feel lonely this Christmas. Proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. The voice of one. Crying in the where? The wilderness. Prepare. There's our word again. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Then a weird verse in the Bible. <laughs> now John, maybe Mark just had a joke going with John, I don't know. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. And wore a leather belt around his waist. Apparently that was weird back then. <laughs> and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes one, comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, 700 years before, prophesying that this messenger would come preparing the way for Jesus. The, the word path there, the straight path that was being referred to there in, in Greek means a well-worn path. That John would well wear out this path that Jesus was going to walk on. So with that in mind, think about some of these things in the text here. This is the beginning of the gospel. We just talked about that. In other words, the good news for all of humanity begins right here. Right here. Think about that. One of the things that it seems that the people of that time period missed was the gravity of the situation. And yet here we have, we have a full explanation of the gravity of the situation. And who misses it? We do. I think Jake shared some, 
some stats with you about how much we spend on our Christmas presents. And if he didn't, he's got it memorized, I'll tell you. And, uh, you know, it's just the gravity of the situation. All of humanity in this moment, here's the Son of God. There's no other divine being in the history of the world. And here he is. I'm going to read to you in just a minute. Uh, when, when John saw Jesus coming from, from afar off, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. The gravity. Isaiah says this messenger will come and prepare the way for the coming of salvation, and it will straighten out the path. And then enter John the Baptist. <laughs> In Matthew 11, uh, Jesus makes sure we know that he's not a slightly reformed denominational leader. He is actually, literally, John the baptizer. He was known because he was doing something different. He was preparing a different path where he was calling people to do a couple of things. To repent. Not rule follow. Not do all of the things that they wanted to do. But he's stopping them in their tracks. And when they were ready for this prophet man-like guy wearing weird clothes in the wilderness. I mean, think about this. Flocks of people coming out to hear John preach in the wilderness of all places. And he's calling them to repent. To stop doing what they're doing. To turn around. Turn to Jesus. And follow him. It says they just were confessing their sins and getting baptized. Oh, would God would do that again in our midst. And that he would begin with you and me. What, what, what an amazing thing. So he's shifting people's thinking. Think through this with me. Of all the things John could have done to prepare the way for the Lord, like go meet with important people, like head to the city center and meet with the government, of all the things that maybe we would do when we want to start a business and get our, you know, we got our 501c3 and, you know, maybe if you were starting a for-profit business, you would go, you would go through the, the channels to get that going. But what did John choose to do and what did the Bible record for us? He went to the wilderness. Listen, if you ever want to plant a church, the wilderness is not the place. <laughs> not a whole lot of people in the wilderness, Right. Just think practically. He went to the wilderness. What was that? What was that showing? He went to a place of physical discomfort. He went to a place of physical discomfort. And then he preached repentance. A place of spiritual discomfort. Think about it. If there's thousands of people there and you're being called to repent and then confess your sin... Anybody go first today? Oh, no, you don't want to. What's jo- John's calling them to this different path. He's, he's beating out a different path. One that we would do well to get back on today in this Christmas season. So, so, so he's in this place of physical discomfort, this place of spiritual discomfort. And then, he call, then, and then he's calling people into the waters of baptism. What is that? It's social discomfort. Are you experiencing this Christmas season physical, spiritual, and social discomfort? John would call you back into that path. 
Because what, what does Isaiah say? He's going to prepare a path. And what are the three things that John comes and does? We're told that he's preparing the way for God. That's a big job. And what does he do? He goes into the wilderness, preaches repentance, and starts baptizing people in droves as they confess their sins. Wow. Not what I would have expected. To prepare the way for God. God's after your whole being. He wants you to serve and worship Him. What's the Bible say? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Would you be willing to give it all to Jesus today? It's that old hymn that says, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Are you willing to give it all to Jesus? What if he called you into the wilderness today? I would argue that you have a wilderness in your life. That wherever you are in your life right now, there's a wilderness that you can step into and preach the gospel to the people in your circle of influence. And call them to Christ. And that this Christmas season, when we come out on the other end of it, we as a church would rejoice as we see people enter the waters of baptism because this Christmas changed stuff for them. That's what John was doing. He was calling them into this path and he was beating this path of real change. Not just shaping up into the social norm. God's after all of you. Will you follow him if it costs you physically, spiritually, and socially? Will you follow him? Or only one of the three, two of the three. Will you follow him? John was terribly countercultural. Did you pick up on that? <laughs> John did not wear skinny jeans. <laughs> and I might not after Christmas. See how it goes. Think about this, though. Verse 5 says it worked. Verse 5 says it worked. It wasn't about his talent, his entrepreneurial savvy, his style, or even his dashing good looks. It wasn't about any of that. It wasn't about any of the things that, you know, even in the Old Testament, what was the first thing they said about Saul? He was tall and he was handsome. And what did he do? He turned from God. <laughs> it wasn't about any of that. What made people were coming from everywhere, right? To hear and confessing their sins and being baptized. What made that okay for John? Look at verse seven and eight again. And and this is important for you because if you're if you're gonna follow Jesus with all of you, you see, we we say stuff like that in church, but I guarantee you tomorrow you're gonna forget. Because I'm going to. Man, I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to like be like study the Bible and like walk around here and, and I forget. I forget I forget while studying the Bible. How awful is that? So you're in good company. <laughs> but listen, listen to where'd that come from for John? Where'd that come from? Like I, I just like my, my flesh, I just kinda wonder if John ever 
woke up in the morning and was like, man, I'd really like to you know, go have some, uh, some steak. really like to uh, go into town and have some warm bread and soup. It says he ate locusts and honey. Like we're, and wore weird clothes. <laughs> Did you ever think John was just like, man, I'd like to just have a nice robe, <laughs> some cool sandals. He was a human being. There were, I'm sure that there were moments where John had to step outside the moment and, and evaluate what was happening. But we're, we're given the keys to that in verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Think, think about the things that John was doing. John had a high view of God. John had a high view of God. John was physically, spiritually, and socially surrendered because he had a high view of God. You think about the things he was saying, mightier than I. When you begin to wrap your head around that God is mightier than you, it changes the way you do stuff. If you really believe that God is mighty and that you have the power of the living God channeling through you in the Holy Spirit with power, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will make different decisions. You will make different decisions. And he said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Is that your disposition this Christmas season? That I'm not worthy to even untie Jesus' dirty sandal. And yet, what did we see Jesus do? Get down and untie his disciples' dirty sandals. And wash their feet. Greatness looks different to God than it does to us. Mightier than I. I'm not worthy. And then he says, I did this, but he's going to do that. He says, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. John was keenly aware that he was preparing himself and others for something greater. Listen to John chapter 3. This is not going to be on the screen, but I want to read it to you anyway. If you got a fast thumb, you can go there real quick. John chapter 3, verse 30 and 31. Listen to his words. We get insight here. He must increase, but I must decrease. And a lot of times we stop there. <laughs> that's a cool verse. Work looks good on your coffee mug. But listen to verse 31. Here's his high view of God. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. John had a high view of God, and it changed the decisions that he made. So John's right view of God drove him to the activity we find him doing in Mark chapter 1. But was it joyful? Was it joyful, right? Because we sing songs like peace on earth, goodwill to men, joy to the world. 
Did John find joy or was it just duty? Go to John chapter 1. And let's look at this real quick. As John is preaching, here's his words. John chapter 1, verse 29 to 34. I love this passage. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's an exclamation point there. And punctuation in this case is important. Because if you're... If you're a, a Debbie Downer, John would have been like, oh, here comes Jesus. But it's not. There's an exclamation point. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What a memory to see the heavens open. And the Spirit of God come on Jesus. John tried to argue his way out of that baptism. (laughs) Like, you should baptize me, really. And Jesus says, no, baptize me. There was great joy. Can you hear the joy in John's words? Can you imagine what it will be like if you today would choose To follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, strength, and might. And that you would be willing to become physically, spiritually, and socially uncomfortable. And then stand before that same God someday. And hear those words we all want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. That's the goal. That's the goal. What we do here is just to prepare us for there. John says, I came to prepare the way. (laughs) And then there's us, Redeemer City Church. Who will we be? See, it's not just an individual effort. Who are we going to be as a church? Who's God calling up? Acts chapter 1 is very clear that you are still here on this earth to be his witness to everybody around you. So the, the, the parallel here is that you're John. You are still here to prepare the way for the Lord, not to make a crap ton of money. Although if you do and tithe, that'd be awesome. But <laughs> short plug. I do pray for you to be successful. But so you can bless. So you can bless people. We're John. Are you preparing the way for the Lord? Are we preparing the way for the Lord? So as you're doing that individually, we're thinking about that collectively as a church. How are we going to prepare the way for the Lord? How, how, how is our influence as a body, as a collective body, worshiping Christ, going to impact this neighborhood.
How, how is this body reaching out to the people right here and right there and right there? We've got to answer that. And so we do it together. You know, we're, we're not having two Christmas Eve services because I want more to do. We're because we want you to have more to do. We're doing it because statistics show that people are more willing to come to church at Christmas and Easter. So we make space, we make opportunity. And if you'll invite, they will come. They do every year. So whoever it is that you're working on, Christmas Eve can be a tool in your tool belt to bring them to hear some good Christmas carols and have some good feels and then to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed from a different voice than yours. It's why we do what we do. That the body of Christ would be an example to those around us. That there's something different here. But it has to be different here. You tracking with me? That that you would commit, that I would commit to walk this well-worn path that Jesus said was narrow. See, there's this wide path that a lot of people are on, and there's this narrow path that not a lot of people are on. And Jesus said there's few who find it. But then he gave us a job to be his witness. And so as we call people into that, we eagerly wait for that gift. But there's still time. There's still time for the people in your life, the people that you meet on a daily basis, to give their life to Christ. There's still time for them to be adopted into the family of God. There's still time for them 